Welcome to the Axe and Anvil podcast, a discussion of craft between blacksmith Jordan Goodwin and filmmaker Bo Schultz. Join us as we travel around to talk with skilled craftsmen and learn from their adventures. So today we're in the shop of Calvin Garland, my friend, knife maker friend. I don't uh, have too many knife maker friends, but <laughs> those I have are good ones. He's also a blacksmith, and um, we're, we are talking knife making, blacksmithing, craftsmanship, all of the above. So thanks good for having to have us. You here. It's good to have you here. It's good to be here. So how long have you been, um, well, tell us, how, how did you first get into knife making, blacksmithing, and how long, how long ago was that? Well, the knife making part come along as a, you know, teenager. Uh, my dad was a tool die guy and a machine repairman, and he dealt with a, a lot of tool steels at work. And the place where he worked, had their, they ground their own uh, tools. And so they had grinders and belt sanders. And, oh man. And, and that had their own heat treat facility. So naturally everybody working that shop made their own knives. You know? <laughs> but a friend of mine's grandfather had been in the Marine Corps and his World War II knife had been through a fire and burnt the handle off. And uh, so my dad uh, agreed to redo it with my help, you know. And I, I got to put redo the leather handle and dad done the reheat treating of the blade and we cleaned it up for him. And that kind of got me bit on knife making. And so from there, uh, <clears throat> I would get bits and pieces of tool still here and there, you know, A2 or D2 or O1, and uh, started filing my blades out and didn't have no belt sander, didn't have no grinders, you know, it was just file everything out and uh, fit everything by hand, and it was very long and painstaking. And then uh, at that point, I had a friend that worked at the plant that would uh, get heat treat them for me. And so I didn't go right into the heat treating process till. Uh, later, a few years later, when I got another job, I had to start learning how to heat treat on my own. And uh, that's when, <clears throat> some years later, uh, 98, my dad passed away. And uh, my grandfather, uh, his dad, was a blacksmith by trade. And uh, my dad had done it growing up, you know. And so I'd been around anvils and blacksmithing and hammering on things most of my life. And so I thought, if I can forge a blade and forge these bevels in, that would save, a, it was all out of necessity. That would save so much time on this You wouldn't filing. have to file so yeah, much. Yeah, if, you if you've never started from scratch and filed in a knife bevel, it just gets wider as it goes up the blade, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I forged my first knife and it looked awful, you know. And I thought, I don't, you, you sit there and look at it and you think, I don't know if it's going to save me any time or not, but. So I practiced a little bit, and at that time, there was no such thing as, I've only been watching YouTube videos for a couple of years, you know, and I do it now for, I wake up in the mornings, get my coffee, and I do it for enjoyable time. And uh, so I, there wasn't a lot of instruction here in southern Tennessee. So I had to learn by trial and error. But after I figured out the process and got some bevels forged in uh, without, you know, making my blade look like a banana shape, uh, <laughs> I've realized, hey, this saves a lot of time with a file. And so that bit me on the bladesmithing bug. But, and the blacksmithing came in, you know, I joined a, the Alabama Forge Council in the early 2000s, and I met Travis Fleming in his shop. And uh, I'd, been doing, uh, I'd been doing small things blacksmithing at that point, shovels and fire pokers and hooks and nails, you know, just to, 
you make those kind of things and it keeps up your hammer control, builds hammer control, things like that, as you well know. And uh, but when tapers I, and all that. Right, good when stuff. I met Travis, you know, and uh, and and he done a lot of ornamental iron stuff and things of that nature. It just sort of, and it all bloomed from meeting other friends and yeah, seeing things. Seeing I what other make. people could do. Yeah. Then eventually went to tooling, hammers, and, you know, make your own chisels, make your own punches, and and it, everything just blossomed from that. But uh, over the years, it's mainly been for axes and knives edged weapons yeah things like that sharp things sharp things <laughs> that i really had a passion for but uh so what was your first forge <clears throat> my first forge uh actually i i built myself a uh, uh i saw i had sawn out some half inch plate stock on a, angles and welded it up and made a nice bowl and i had to uh, make my fire pot and, my am and I mounted it all in a uh, steel table that I built with wheels on it, a lot like my hammer rack, because I didn't have a permanent structure. Uh, so I could roll it in the car garage uh, at, uh, at my mother-in-law's house, and uh, Heather and I hadn't bought a house yet, and uh, we were still pretty young. and So I just used her garage, and I'd roll all my stuff in there. My anvil was on a round stump, so I could roll it, and I'd roll it back in the shop. When I got ready to blacksmith, I'd roll it out, plug it in. It was a coal forge. And uh, go to blacksmithing out on the patio, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of people. A lot of people have to deal with that same, same yeah. setup. But to do what you can with what you got. Eventually, I built me a 16 by 16 lean-to shop and uh, mounted my anvil on the stump permanently. And, and I really enjoyed that shop until we bought this place. And this tractor shed was already here, so. What is this about? This is 24 by 34. 24 by 34. Yeah. And uh, I've often said, I think, for if you're hand tools only, if you don't have a welder, power hammer, none of that, that I think I think a 12 by 16, 16 by 16 is plenty it to is. get started in. It is. No, I don't think it's real practical. I've been in smaller, and I don't think it's real practical to go smaller than about 12 by 12, 12 by 16. Right. My first one was 16 by 16. And... Uh, and I built it out of stuff I had. And my mother-in-law had had a horse arena at one time, I think. And she had some uh, eight by eight treated posts that they had taken down. And I used those for the posts. So I had eight by eight treated posts. And I had my Amish friends to saw me some lumber for another project. So everything was in two by tens and two by sixes. My wow. rafters were two by uh, it, was <laughs> it was stout. You could lift it, stuff from it, the rafters. It's still down there. Yeah, my brother uses it for his shed down there now. But uh, anyway, it's uh, yeah. You don't need a great big shop, and uh, I kind of like the cozy feeling. You know, the I don't know what nostalgic feeling to it. A lot of guys build a great big metal shop. You know, and they'll have this forty by sixty metal building yeah. with a six inch concrete floor in it, and uh, you know that's real nice if you do a lot of mechanic work and. A lot of fab work, but uh, I don't know for blacksmithing and knife making. I just like this old shop is oak framed, and that's heavy metal on the sides. And for me, it just feels like home. This know? it definitely has more of the like you said nostalgic, like old time country right. blacksmith shop feel with a with a you know a, a flair. Maybe that really you know, nice and organized too. It, it, it <laughs> may be because you know I think about that. Uh, Back to when I was a kid, you know, what yeah. my dad's shop or granddad's shop looked like, you know, and that's kind of what you get used to. Now, were they, did they tend to be 
organized people or, or not so no. much? No. <laughs> my grandfather Garland had a drawer and a place for everything, but my dad, you know, he was a lot like myself. He was just, uh, he, he was always making something when I, or working on something. So his tools just migrated from what job he was working on to the next. Sounds about like me. I have to, I have to fight it. <laughs> and I, I'm terrible about when I'm working out here, uh, if I lay down my tongs or the hammer I'm using, I gotta figure out where I laid it down when I pull my, I pull pieces out of the fire and, and lose my heat because I couldn't find the tongs. Well, you know, if you didn't have so many dad blamed anvils all over the shop, <laughs> maybe your tools would stay more localized. I know. Would, would <laughs> and I don't know, you know, I know a lot of guys have a, have a one anvil kind of person, you know, <laughs> but uh, I have them and they, believe it or not, they all have different, and I still use other things. I guess it's because I make a wide variety of things. That's an old flat wheel pulley laying in the floor. And I use that thing quite often for a lot of different shapes. And I leave it laying there because I can roll it. And that's another advantage of a dirt floor. <laughs> you can just roll your tools around where you need them and settle them in and use them. A lot of my swedge blocks stay on the dirt floor because I move them around. And I have three different swedge blocks I use. And I use all of them, you know. And uh, so. Yeah, I, I can't say much. I got, I'm using two anvils set right side by side because one has a better top. And edges and the other one's harder and it has a better horn and right <laughs> and like I said all these have different purposes and I mainly like good tools and I like for them to be mounted well you know like we were talking about an, a smaller anvil will do just fine if it's mounted well yeah and you know you don't need a 400 pound or even a 200 pound anvil you know you can 100 150 pounders a great size anvil mount it well and it'll do everything you need to do but that's like my post vise I ran up on that post vise by chance, and, and I, everybody likes that post vise. It's eight inch. It's heavy. It come out of a, uh, to my understanding, I was told it come out of a train repair station in around Birmingham, Alabama. Wow. At some point. Wonder, it, how, wonder what that thing weighs. It weighs, uh, it weighed 198 pounds on the scales before wow. I mounted it. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice, uh, nice vise. And so it's mounted to a three inch thick plate that, that's about eight foot long there in the dirt. That'll do it. <laughs> so it never, it never moves. <laughs> oh, but, three inch thick. Yep. Changing gears a little bit, how have your parents and grandparents shaped your perspective of your craft? Well, uh, I came from a lot of hardworking people. You know, uh, my grandfather, both my grandfathers were hardworking men. And my grandfather Garland was a working blacksmith. And uh, even though he had uh, retired, you know, by the time I came along and his, was no longer working in his shop, uh, you know, I seen his tools there and he had stories about things he had fixed and, and some of the older people in my family had, would tell me stories about uh, going to granddad's blacksmith shop and things he had fixed. And, and, uh, but I got to watch my dad do a lot of stuff over the years. And I think my dad was one of my biggest influences. You know, he was, uh, he had a great mechanical mind as far as knowing how just looking at things, how they work and how he can make things work, you know. And I would like to think that I inherited some of that from him. Uh, he was a good, you know, just about everything he tried to make, he made it himself. He yeah. was the kind of man that uh, he didn't hire a mechanic, he didn't hire a carpenter, you know. If it needed done, he did it himself. Yep, if he needed it done, and he done it well. Yeah. You know, and uh, so my dad was probably my greatest influence as far as my mechanics, because like, if I need a power hammer, I didn't, I didn't build that power hammer because I couldn't afford to buy one. You know, I built it because I wanted to say I made it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm using a power hammer that I made. 
and uh, that's why I continue. You know, I'm building another one. I'm improving on the one I made, and yeah. that's the same way my dad was, I guess. You know, uh, I think there's a lot to that. For me, like that's one of the main reasons I want to raise my kids in the country, around doing things with our hands or whatever. Right. I think that, um, you know, I think that that ability to improvise and roll with things and, and figure things out mechanically is it's uh, it's hard to teach later in life but it's if it if you if it if you catch it as a kid I think that it's it's something that stays with you for the rest of your life it is and I think you know watching my dad all those years when I was little just like your kids are watching you in the shop that's that's where it, it all comes from yeah and and I think you know as People, as we go through life, we need that comfort feeling, you know, back coming back home, as they say. And uh, so that's what it kind of like for me, you know, when I come out here making things with my own hands. And I like making things for my daughters. You yeah. know, I've got four daughters. And my grand, and it's, and eventually I hope, you know, goes into making things for my grandchildren. You yeah. Know? I hope I live long enough that one day my grandchildren are out here working with me, you know. Who are the masters that inspire you? Uh, well, as masters go, uh, there's a lot of blacksmiths that have inspired me. You know, people I've never met that I've seen in, of course, books. I have a, a whole bookshelf full of books, you know, like you, like you reference books. But personally, you know, I, I've got a lot of good friends, blacksmithing like Travis Fleming, you know, and, and uh, I learn different things from them, you know, Al Stevens. Uh, when Al and I started hanging out, Al, I was very quiet when it comes to demonstrating at demonstrations and things like that. And Al done a lot of demonstrating, and he's a great blacksmith. And so I learned from him, you know, how to enter, talk to people yeah. while I'm blacksmithing, you know. So I've learned different things from different people over the years. As far as blade making, uh, Alex Daniels was a, was a knife maker that lived down here in northern Alabama, and he helped me a whole lot with uh, finishing knives, things like that. I've been making knives for years, and there was a lot of things about knives I still didn't like that I made. You know, when I would make them, I'd say, I can't figure out how to pinpoint this problem, or, and other people would look at them, people that's not in the knife world, you know, they're just looking at a knife, and they're like, hey, nothing's wrong with this knife. It looks good, but to you, the maker, you're looking at it and saying, no, there's, there's things about that knife I really don't like. And Alex, uh, he took me in, he was a great guy, you know, and he let me spend a lot of time with him. And I, I took advantage of that as much as I could, and he showed me finishing techniques and, you know, things like that. But uh, Alex didn't forge much, uh, but he, he was a great finisher. I mean, he could, he made a lot of antique buoys and buoy reproductions, and he'd done a lot of stuff by hand, a lot of hand sanding and finishing. And he had a lot of techniques he'd picked up over the years, you know, 30-something years of knife making it as he was doing it. And that, uh, it really helped me out. It sped me up years. Yeah, that's that's something that I I'm just trying really really hard to impress on people that are asking me that asking me questions that are just starting out. Is like, you know, I I only spent two three years something like that um, learning on my own before I started get you know looking around for uh, and you know personal instruction, not just YouTube and the internet. You know. Right. And um, and I and I uh, quickly came to regret that I hadn't done that sooner, because 
um, that personal instruction can, like you said, shave years off of the learning curve. It on can. Stuff. It can. And nowadays, you know, like I said, I, I'm not a very technical, uh, you know, technology, new technology to me is just, I don't know, it eludes me. And like I said, I've just for the last few years, I've started watching YouTube more, more as in, you know, enjoyable viewing. Entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing good on TV. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's one advantage younger people have nowadays. And of course, you have to weed through YouTube. Yeah. You know, as we, as I was talking about earlier, you know, get rid of the showmanship and find out who's really teaching. And there's also guys now that in the knife making world that offer online courses. Yeah. That are really good. You yeah. know. Uh, there's a couple of guys here lately I've noticed put out, uh, you know, and you get a complete school lesson on master course for a minimum amount of money, really. Yeah. yeah. And man, if, if people don't understand how much that information means, right? How many years it can shave? Not just a few months, but you can say it shave years off of your learning curve. Yeah. Yeah, I, I personally think it's really important to practice, get started, and do stuff on your own and practice, but um but also like look around don't be reinventing the wheel look around to um to uh, glean from others and build on what they've you know what what foundation they can give you right. so so related to this um tell me what you think about um sharing knowledge in general and i know i know this is something that you're pretty passionate about is uh, you know people people shared knowledge with you Right. And, and continue to. And just how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about, um, uh, like, you know, 200 years ago, if you were going to be a blacksmith or really any other trade, um, you know, you'd be looking at an apprenticeship as a kid. Right now. Well, that's my, that's my time to quit for lunch. Alarm. Oh. <laughs> as a, I have alarms at home to, to uh, Try to try to keep myself on track on a schedule. <laughs> That's probably the reason I don't do this for a living because I wouldn't have a schedule. I don't make a very good boss, but but yeah. The uh, to get back to, to your question, uh, apprenticeships I think is a great thing, and sharing my knowledge. I've never. I, I don't want to charge people, and there's a lot of guys that not a lot of guys. There's been some folks that have asked me why I don't charge. You know, because maybe they were wanting to start charging people for mm -hmm. what they do. And that's fine. Whatever route you want to take in life, if it's a business venture for you, then by all means, you know, if you, your time's worth something. Yeah. But I try to keep it on a, a more uh, personal level. You know, I, I, people come and they ask me questions, and a lot of things I don't really know how to explain. So I just tell them, let's go out here, you know, and I'll show you. Uh, I met a gentleman one time. And that really impressed me. His, his name's Ken Durham. He's a knife maker down in Cherokee, Alabama. But I asked him about years ago when I made that integral knife. I was like, you know, you make a lot of integrals. And I, one, you know, out of round stock, he said, I said, uh, what's your steps to that? He said, come on out here and I'll show you. He just fired a forge up, you know. And so that's kind of the way I like being. I just want to show somebody. And uh, I just hope that if somebody's, you know, taking their time to learn you something like that that you're respectful enough for their time to yeah because I've had a lot of younger people you know come in here and they say how do you do this and do that and I remember one young guy especially I was on my anvil showing him how to forge in bevels on a blade and I'm down there working in those bevels at the choil area 
which is a tender spot, you know, and I'm explaining to him how he wants to stay away from this and away from that. And I look up, he's standing over there next to the wall on his phone. You know, he's not even paying me no attention. And that's one of my pet peeves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'd ask yeah. me about. And but, there's trade-offs. If you were charging him 500 bucks for I wouldn't day, care. he'd be paying attention. Yeah, or I wouldn't care. <laughs> you know, right. I'd be like, well, I got his money anyway, right. you know. But uh, my time, to me, is the most valuable thing I got. Yeah. And as you get older, you realize that, you know, I, I turned 50 this year, and there's so many things I want to make, so many more things I want to accomplish in my metalworking and knife making. And sometimes you wonder if you're going to have enough time to do it all. Yeah. Even at 50. So when you take a day or a weekend to show somebody something, you know, it means a lot to you. Uh, I'm only 28 time. and I've already decided I'm never going to be able to make all the stuff right. I want to make. <laughs> and, and generally, uh, people like us, a craftsman with a craftsman, you know, mindset, uh, they, I don't think we ever quit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, up till the day we die, there's things that we felt like we un left unfinished or didn't, and didn't do. But, you know, I just, uh, apprenticeships are a great thing and hand one-on-one -on -one instruction is a great thing. Uh, when you can actually walk in and watch somebody do it right in front of you and then you can hand them the hammer and, and show them what they did wrong, uh, it, uh, it's a, that's the best way, I think. If it's, whether it's still talking about blacksmithing, I was trade, skilled trade jobs. You know, I'm a skilled tradesman. I'm a machinist by trade. And uh, I went, I didn't go to school. I went through an apprenticeship. And yeah. I wished other people would do, you know, I wish that would come back. Yeah. You know, the, they used to teach machine shop in high school. And, uh, you know, kids come out of high school, they may not be a machinist, professional machine, you know, when they come out of high school, but they had a general idea of how this worked. And even if they didn't decide to use that as a trade in life, they still had a skill set. Yeah. And uh, so I feel that apprenticeships is a great thing, uh, almost a necessity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, <clears throat> I certainly am, am trying to work towards a point in my blacksmithing business operation, whatever you want to call it, um, to where I can, I can actually take on full-time apprentices but I'm not there yet but you know that's that's one of the reasons that we're we're doing this podcast and we're doing YouTube videos and stuff like that is um, you know I think I think we've just got to get got to get blacksmithing and skilled trades in general just out in front of people's eyeballs first and then we've got to figure out how to make more opportunities for young people especially to actually get their hands on the hardest, the hardest thing I've come across in this time is, uh, and it, it's not the young people's fault. I'm, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that says all these kids nowadays yeah. are, yeah. Because every new generation, I think, was different for the older generation as they come along, right. and they've each got their own environment. But kids nowadays are so used to everything can be right now. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying that to put down the younger generation. It, it's the society they grow up, grew right. up in. You know, they have cell phones that if they want to know any kind of information, they can, within five seconds, they have an answer in their hand. And if they want to learn how to make a knife, they can sit and watch 20 videos within, you know, the next hour or two on their phone. And so that's been my biggest holdback or the thing that's, uh, I guess, stopped a lot of progression with the young folks when they come in here is because 
they come in here on a Saturday morning with the impression they're going to make a knife before they leave. Yeah. And be done with it. And because that's the way, you know, their world has been for them. Everything's happened extremely fast. Yeah. You know, you have 20-year-old uh, guys and ladies now that are already own a $300,000 home. And yeah. they're 20 years old, whereas, you know, I didn't get it till I was in my 30s or early 40s, and my parents didn't get it sometimes until, you know, later in life. Yeah. Because it just didn't happen that way. But uh, they come out here and they're like, well, I want to make a knife today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, you don't understand. I'd rather you come out here and spend months coming on the weekends and let me show you how to make a nail. Why do I want to make a nail when we're making knives? Because first you got to learn how to control this hammer and where this hammer is going to move right. that metal before you can make a knife. So the challenge is not just getting getting uh, people to understand the amount of dedication and practice it takes to build the skill to do these things well, but to get people to actually embrace that. Right. Yeah. And they don't. You can't get them to understand that they'll be a much better smith, and that they'll learn so much more if when they start making that knife blade, they already know how that metal's going to move. Right. They already know why you're asking them to hammer on this side or hit here first, because they, and you know, if you make a nail and you mess up, it's a nail. Right. You cut it off, start over again. If you're making a hook, a drive hook, you cut off, start over again, and you're only minutes. You've only right. lost minutes. But if you're working on a knife blade and you've got this piece of, of uh, blade steel forged out and you're nearly done and then you mess up. There goes a day of work and hours more of work and yeah. blade steel shot and then yeah. you end up, you got to make a smaller knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, if you're, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I honestly think, you know, it's a good idea to start just learning how to first use your hammer and hammer control and then progress from there on other things and uh, so that I guess that's been my biggest issue with teaching people yeah is the fact that it's so rushed nowadays yeah and uh, you know especially shows that come on TV where people make a knife in a couple of hours so they actually think hey everybody can make a knife in a couple of hours yeah and uh, but or it's edited down to yeah. half an hour <laughs> you know I, they'll come out and we'll forge out a blade and and we'll get it We'll go in the house because my grinders are in the house in the basement and they'll rough grind it and then we come out here and we heat treat it and i'm like well we got to put it in the oven well how long is it going to be in the oven well you know you got to temper it for two one hour cycles you know i gotta wait two more hours it just <laughs> yeah it's, it's only a couple of hours out of your day but yeah i don't know it's it's all fun for me i don't like i said i guess and if I was doing this for a living and I was charging people, I guess it wouldn't matter to me. If they wanted, you know, it's their time, they're paying for it, however they want to take it. But, if, you know, since I'm just out here on my own and uh, taking my time out of my day and doing it for nothing. Yeah. Well, my my experience so far has been I, I'm so buried in work, i got to be choosy a little bit. Yeah. And I get to be in some ways, which is a real blessing, but there are certain things that, I won't say you couldn't pay me enough to do, but <laughs> it will certainly take more. Yeah. Uh, so you have a price. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, you do it for a living, and, uh, you know, I enjoy your videos. And, you know, like I said, I come out here, and I'm not used to really instructing. 
and uh, so it may take me a little longer instructing people than what it should but uh, we try to work through it what's on your bucket list of projects you want to accomplish well you, t you said you get a lot you got lots of things you still want to make oh yeah <laughs> uh, you know one thing that I'd like to, I, I, when I think about things I want to make, I think about things I want to pass down to yeah. my grandkids and kids. And so one thing I'd really like to do uh, is make each of my grandchildren a knife, you know, or, or something that they can pass down. You know, if one of my granddaughters didn't want a knife, maybe, you know, make something ornamental for, you know, can, candlestick holders or something, you know, for their home. Yeah. I'd like to live long enough to, to where when my grandchildren get homes, I make things for their homes. Yeah. You know, and uh, a lot of things focus around my kids and grandkids for me. But also, you know, it sounds kind of funny to people, I guess, but being a, a fabricator and, you know, I've been a welder my whole life and a machinist, building things like that power hammer to me is, is uh, satisfying. Yeah. You might say. Yeah. And I got another power hammer out that I want to get completed, and uh, uh, I want to get my press because when I'm out here making a knife, it ain't just about making a knife for me. It's about I'm using tools that I made. Right. And yeah, I think if there's anything more if there's anything more satisfying than making something really nice and usable for somebody else, it's it's building some building exactly the tool you need for yourself to use, and then getting to use right. it. Right. And you know, it's, to me it's like, I think about in the future, maybe you know, after I'm gone from this world, uh, one of my grandchildren might be using my yeah. tools to make things. Yeah. And whether it be one of my granddaughters or one of you know, my grandsons, they can say, tell their friend, you know, hey, yeah, my, they can say, where'd you get this machine? Well, my grandpa made it. Yeah. You know, where'd you get that hammer? My grandpa made it for me. You know? I think that's such a great perspective, like that's, that's my dream as well. Like, you know, this, this ties into the philosophical side so much for me of, of um, you know, building both physical things for future generations. And then the, what, what goes along with that is building the relationships and, uh, and experiences, having the experiences with your family, with your kids, with your grandkids, right. to, so that they will want to use those things on down the road sorry that's okay i'm gonna get wax poetic here <laughs> not quite <laughs> but, but uh, yeah that's uh i guess my biggest bucket list is is uh you know build making things for my grandchildren and children at this point in my life i've been a you know contractor and i worked in the field machining industry and i've worked for several different companies and the thing about working in powerhouses and field machining is it's all feast or famine and uh, so it was seven twelves for years you know years uh, and I miss so much with my kids that, and I don't want to miss with my grandkids so spending this time with them and and is, is probably my biggest bucket list thing yeah and, and making things for them because now when work says uh, you want to work a weekend I'm like no I don't want to work no weekends you know it's not worth it. It's mm -mm. the trade-off isn't worth it. It ain't worth it because I spent years on seven twelves and being away from here. I've been away from my shop and house at times for so long. When I came home, I didn't. Even feel, I don't know if you know what that feels like. You probably don't, but it, you don't even feel like you're at your house. Yeah. You know, you're. Wow. You got to get used to being at home. 
You know, when I've worked in so many different cities in a short period of time, I've actually woken up in motel rooms and had to think about what city I was in and what power plant I was working at, you know. And uh, that kind of life gets old. So you really enjoy sitting out here. When you've lived that kind of life, you notice what birds are singing in your trees when you're sitting out here drinking your coffee, you know. And uh, so that's kind of life I want. Yeah. You know, I got to have a job. I still got bills to pay and I still got kids to raise and things like that, but I don't want my job to be my life anymore. Yeah. But I want to get my other power hammer built and I want to get my press built. And, uh, uh, but as you well know, I have new things I add to my bucket list every day. Cause, oh yeah. Oh, I know uh, all about that. You know, there's different style, even when it comes to something as simple as making a handheld hammer. Yeah. I got a new, I got a design I want to make for myself. And I'm working on the top tool, you know, I'm working on my power hammer tools to help me make that hammer as we speak, you know. Yeah. And I find it's never ending when you finally get around to making a project that's on your bucket list and you get done with it and you're like, I want to make another one because I want to do this different and that different, you know, little, little itty bitty details. Right. It's like, if I could just make another one, I could, uh, it'd be so much better. But anyway. Yeah, that, that all comes with the territory, I guess. Cause well, is there anything else you want to add as far as? I mean, I think we think there's been a lot. We've we've heard a lot of great uh, life and blacksmithing lessons already. But anything else in in particular you'd like to leave with the the young bucks out there that are wanting to make a knife in an afternoon, or <laughs> well, or get into blacksmithing. I guess if if I could go back in time and I, and I tell my kids, you know, uh, right now, uh, make the most of your time because. It goes by so fast. Yeah, I'm fixing to turn 50, and I tell my daughters now because they're in their 20s, late 20s, and I say you'll be 40 tomorrow. You know, and that's not somebody that's older just saying something. Yeah, you know, it does happen that fast, and before you know it, your grandkids uh, look like your kids to you. Yeah, you know, because it happens that fast. Yeah, and uh, so if you're going to learn this trade and you're getting into this trade. Uh, Take the time to devote it to your trade and try to stay focused. And get to it, get started. Yes, get started. I get started. so, and this is not to be offensive to anybody, but like I get so tired of, of uh, getting messages from people that are, that, you know, they're, they're 30, 40, whatever, 60, and they're like, I always wanted to get into that. It's like, well, do it. Yeah. Do it tomorrow. Don't, don't wait to get into it. Whatever and it takes. Get started, and when I say stay focused, I mean like, come out here, and if you don't make nothing but nails all morning, make the best nails you can make. Make them straight, over and make over them square, again. over and over and over again. And you'll find out when you go to make other things, your hammer controls there, you know, the, the eye for tapers, the eye for square corners, the eye for, you know, just that right amount of steel moved, it'll come natural. Yeah. And, and try to do something well, and then move to something else. Yeah. Don't, don't scatter yourself, I guess is the best way to put it. Because yeah. if you try to do this and this and this and this, it's hard to focus. So if, if you want to be a metal worker, and you want to learn blacksmithing or knife making, you know, get started now. And, and stay focused on it. And you know, if you've got spare time in your day, you know, it, it helps so many things in life. It ain't just yeah. it ain't just about what you're making. You know, it's about what it's doing for you as a person. 
Yeah. Uh, I was terrible with patience as a young man. Uh, I had none, and uh, and I had a terrible temper. So those two things didn't mix well together. And they don't mix with blacksmithing very no. well. <laughs> and so I think I've learned not to make to take the mistakes so serious, you know. And I've also learned that you're not the only one making those mistakes. Yeah. You know, if, if you're making something and uh, just like we talked about earlier about your piece moving in the fire, uh, if you're teaching somebody, don't try to hide those things, right. your mistakes. Just, you know, say all, all, everybody that makes this stuff is going to make those same mistakes. Right. You know, there is, there is no, I've never met that master out there that like you see in the TV shows that never messes something up. Yeah. Uh, everybody I've ever met that was real good at this craft or real good at anything in life is the one that's made enough mistakes that he's. They usually he got or a she, whole scrap pile out there. Yeah, back he or she's got learned enough about about it by yeah. what they messed up. And if you think a mistake, like we were talking about earlier, if you think a mistake is expensive, and some are, just think about you know the money you could have spent learning something else at a college or a school or whatever. And I'm not right. putting that down. Right. But if you compare dollars to dollars, it's actually getting out and practicing and screwing up some metal and whatnot and losing some time is still a good value in education. So I guess if you wanted to make a one-liner to that, you know, you could say make your mistakes a life lesson rather, you know, something you learn from. Yeah. You know, rather than something you fault yourself for. Yeah. Because everybody, like I said, everybody's making the same mistakes. And learn from other people's mistakes too. Yeah. <laughs> Having older siblings helps with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having us out here to your shop and for sitting down and talking to us. Appreciate everybody that's uh, joined us in, in a way. And, and um, man, I've enjoyed it. We may I'm have like, to come back and do this again. Yeah. <laughs> come by. Anytime. I don't think we'll ever run out of things to talk about. No. So. No. Anyway. Next time we'll make something. That's right. Let's do it. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. If you'd like to help us in this venture, support Axe and Anvil on Patreon, where you'll also get early access and exclusive content. Follow our journey on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Axe and Anvil.